We are going to be in uh, Luke chapter 9 this morning. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open, Luke chapter 9. A lot of fun stuff uh, going on today. Uh, good worship, good special with the choir. Uh, need to have a blaze up here, so a lot of good things going on. And let's do the smart thing. Have a quick word of prayer before we jump into this. Uh, Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you now to really stop and say thank you for the time to be here this morning and what this day means and what this day represents. We pray, Lord, it would be a day to really focus on you and your death and your resurrection and the life that you give. We ask for your blessing upon everything in the back, and we just thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing. Amen. Ready? Uh, Luke chapter 9 is what we're going to use as a springboard for this morning, but we're actually going to be in a lot of different passages here going on. I always find it fascinating when there's a, a story in the Bible that is repeated again and again. And what we're going to talk about this morning is a passage that's repeated in the book of Matthew, in the Mark, and also in the book of uh, Luke. Anytime God wants to repeat something like that, there's a reason and a purpose behind it. It's not that God is not good at communicating. It's not that God is repetitious to a fault. He's repeating this for a reason and a purpose. And when he repeats these things, I think we need to stop and say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to get out of this? So I'm just going to read you the passage out of Matthew and Mark, but we're going to really use Luke as a springboard. In Matthew chapter 17, it says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, the Bible says. Well, in the book of Mark, and once again you don't need to turn there, in Mark chapter 9, it tells a similar thing. Verse 30, it says, And they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it, meaning Christ. For he taught his disciples and said to them, Son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying. They were afraid to ask him. And then Luke, which you're in, take a look at Luke uh, chapter 9, look at verse 43. It says, And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now, all basically saying the same thing. But it's kind of interesting when you really stop and look at these things. Three times, God is trying to get this passage, this idea of cross. This idea of Jesus was here... And the reason he's here is to die. Now, this is a theme that we've talked about a lot lately. You know, when we get around Christmas time, we talk about how Jesus was born to die. That was his purpose, was to come and to die for the sins of the world. We talked about just Wednesday, on our, our excellent Wednesday service there, the first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, as a prophecy of death, how Christ came to die. His purpose of coming was to die. He knew that, and that's what he wanted to tell everybody. That's Easter in a nutshell right there. The Son of Man, Christ, has come. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to die, but three days later he's going to rise again. That's the whole Easter story in one little verse. And Easter is the most important day, I believe, of all time. Because Easter is the day where sin is finally defeated and taken care of. Easter is the day where Christ rose from the dead. And, you know, we spend this week here talking about this event. We spend Wednesday talking about his death. We spent sunrise service this morning talking about the tomb and being empty. And now we spend this time here bringing it all together. You know, we spend three services talking about it. And to be quite honest, I don't even know if that's enough. Because this one day, Jesus dying and rising from the dead, that completely changes everything. And that's why we're here. Now, the problem is we put such an emphasis on this one day. It's Easter. And as we like to say numerous times out here, every day is Easter, every day is Christmas. Every day Jesus has been born into the world and every day he's died for our sins. But there's something special about this is Easter. And when you put that emphasis, well, this is Easter, it makes it look like next Sunday's nothing. What's next Sunday? It's just church. It's nothing special. <laughs> but this is Easter. 
Well, the point is Christ wants us to have this mindset through all the year that he has died and risen again, and that's why we have victory in life. So often as Christians, what we do is we have this tendency to see Christ born in December, and then we crucify him in the spring, and then we kind of forget about him until Christmas again. And that's no. It's this daily relationship with the Lord. And here's the problem. If we don't have this daily focus on the Lord, we run ourselves into problems. Because this is what I want to talk about this morning, is when Christ mentioned this three times about him going and dying and rising again, each time the reaction was a little different. And it's a little different because each of the Gospels kind of record it from a little bit different angle there. Well, in the book of Matthew, when Christ told them this, the response was what? Sorrow. The Bible says they were exceedingly sorrowful. Well, in Mark, when he told them about this, the Bible says they were confused. And here in Luke, when he tells them about it, the Bible says they were afraid to ask him. So we have sorrow, we have confusion, and we have fear. Here's the point. When you don't get it, when I don't get it, that everything revolves around Christ and the cross, the result of not getting it is going to be sorrow, confusion, and fear. When you don't get it, sorrow, confusion, and fear take over. Matthew 6, 33, one of the verses we quote out here all the time, says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I don't know how many times people come into my office, and they want the second half of that verse, everything to be added unto them. They want the job to go better. They want to get the right job. They want the better relationship. They want the better marriage. They want the better kids. They want the better health. They want everything better, but they yet don't want to seek God first. Or they want to seek God first on their terms. They want to put their effort into it. God says, put me first, and everything else falls into place. If you don't put the Lord first, there will be sorrow, confusion, and fear in your life. See, Jesus understood the right perspective. Jump down to verse 51 of Luke chapter 9. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, meaning Christ, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now that's the verse we spent last Easter talking about, that idea of steadfastly. Jesus understood his plan and purpose in life was to do what? Die for the sins of the world. He understood that he was born to die. He understood that the prophecy about him back in Genesis was there. He understood this. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He steadfastly took what God called for him and said, this is what it is. Now the problem with us as Christians, is verse 51, is we don't really steadfastly set our face towards the Lord. Let's just be honest. We allow the world to get the best of us. We allow situations at work to bring us down. We allow arguments with the spouse to bring us down. We allow disappointments in life to bring us down. And so therefore, when we are not steadfastly setting our face on Christ, what's the result going to be once again? Sorrow, confusion, and fear. Those three will get the best of you. Let's talk about those for a second. Let's talk about that first one, sorrow. Sorrow. Boy, we see this a lot. The my life is horrible group. My life is the worst life in the world. Nothing ever goes good in my life. Everything falls apart. We just got done studying Ecclesiastes a few weeks ago. We talked about that Ecclesiastes moment. My life is horrible. No one else has it as bad as me. Some people live in that area, and I don't know why they want to live there. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's moments of weeping and mourning, the Bible says. If you lose a loved one, you're going to be sad. Something tragic happens in your life. There's going to be moments of weeping and mourning. That's a fact. I'm not trying to say don't have those moments. But the point is, as Christians, you don't live in those moments of weeping and mourning and sorrow because if you live in that life is horrible, my life is terrible, no one has as bad as me, you don't have your eyes on God. If you seek Him first, He will get you through those difficult times. And let's just be honest, when somebody lives the my life is sorrow moment, really what that is is immaturity. Because a mature believer realizes the Lord is above all this. Job is the best example of that. Talk about a guy that had a tough life. You know, he lost everything. But what did Job say? 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a mature response. Next one, confusion. The whys. Lord, why this? Why that? When people live their life in confusion, it just really tears them. Why am I the one that got laid off and no one else did? Why am I the one that can't find the right spouse? Why am I the one that gets the diagnosis? Why am I the one where I can never... Those why moments. If you live your life in those why moments, you're going to live your life in confusion. See, but actually... 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion. Or as one translation puts it, God is not the God of confusion. Now, I have had confusing moments in my life. But when I reach that point of confusion, I realize that's my time to step back and say, okay, Lord, something's not clicking (laughs) with my walk in you. Because if I'm living in confusion, I'm not living in your peace and your will because you're not the author of confusion. And the last one, fear. They responded in fear in the book of Luke. Boy, people live their lives in fear. Fear of death. Fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen at work, fear of what's going to happen to this, just fear. Well, once again, God says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I've not given you a spirit of fear. You're going to have moments of sorrow, you're going to have moments of confusion, you're going to have moments in fear of life. That's just a fact. You're going to have that. But as a believer, we don't live in those moments. We don't live in that sorrow. We don't live in that confusion. We don't live in that fear. Because Christ said, I am bigger than this. He goes, put me first and everything else falls into place. When we don't put him first, we get caught up in that cycle of sorrow, fear, confusion. It's the same thing the disciples had. And why did they get caught up in it? Because they did not listen to what God had to say. Now they heard him, but they didn't listen. That's why I like verse 44 of Luke 9. Let these words sink down into your ears. Some of your translations worded a little different, but mine's New King James here. Let these words sink down into your ears. This this, this reminds me of almost the parent getting down on their knee, looking at their kid in the eye, saying, now listen to me, listen to me. I I said earlier, one of the earlier services, that uh, our second son, Judah, lives in what we like to call Judah world. He's just always in Judah world, doing Judah things. And we have to get into Judah world to talk to him and say, Judah, Look at my eyes. Listen to what I am saying. Do you hear my voice, Judah? Yeah, I hear it. Okay, you hear my voice, but you're not listening. And that's what happens sometimes is I think the Lord gets down on his knees, comes to his son James, gets down on his knees and says, James, look at my eyes. Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? And here's the thing is, oh yeah, I hear you. There's a big difference between hearing and listening. I've heard many messages in my life. How many did I really listen to? I've heard a lot of good teaching. I've read a lot of good verses. I've read a lot of good books. How many of those actually impacted my life and I brought that into my heart? Ours, it says in verse 44, did I let it sink down into my ears? Most of you are hearing right now. Some of you aren't. Some of you are hearing. Some of you aren't. How many are actually listening? I don't know. It's been a long day. Big day ahead of you. Maybe you got to go to work. You're watching the clock. You're getting hungry. We all do that. It's the same thing that Christ is saying. Because are you really hearing? Are you really listening to what I have to say? Because when we do that, when we allow, verse 44, his words to sink down into our ears, that's really impacts us and makes a difference. See that phrase right there, let the words sink down into your ears. That's the same type of phrase in the Greek that's used in 1 Corinthians 3, where it says, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That word for being laid there, that idea of the foundation being laid, that literally means to be fixed, to be established. So when you're allowing the words of Christ to sink down in your ears, what you're really saying is, I'm laying a foundation in my life of Christ. That's what it means. 
And so therefore, you have to decide when you hear the words of the Lord through the Bible, through teaching, through worship, whatever it is, are you going to allow those words to sink down into your ears and lay a foundation in your life, or are you going to go out on your own? Because you've got to decide what's your foundation. Anytime I do a marriage, I always do 1 Corinthians 3.11. Once again, no other foundation can be laid than that which is Christ. And I always say the only foundation of a life is Christ, the only foundation of a marriage is Christ, a life not built on Christ or a marriage not built on Christ can't last. There has to be a foundation in our lives of what we do. And now you have to ask yourself, what's the foundation of your life? You know, in Matthew chapter 7, there's that great parable, the great story of the wise man and the foolish man. We hear, we hear this a lot. Wise man builds house on the rock, the foolish man builds house on the sand. And we talked about how the rains came and knocked down the foolish man's house. Jonathan just mentioned that last week before a special. We've talked about that verse numerous times out here. And we always talk about what's the foundation that you're building? Are you going to build your foundation on the rock of Christ or on the sands of your own wisdom, intellect, and the world? But what we really don't spend a lot of time talking about that passage is the same storm hits them both. See, here's the problem. As Christians, I lay my foundation on Christ. So therefore, I start assuming I build on Christ. I'm not going to be the one to get laid off. I'm not going to be the one to have problems. I'm not the one that's going to get the bad diagnosis. I'm not the one that's going to run into life because my foundation is Christ. He's the rock. That parable tells us in Matthew 7, the same storm that hit the foolish man is the same storm that hit the wise man. You're going to get rained on in your life. You are. You're going to have good days at work. You're going to have bad days at work. You're going to have good doctor's appointments. You're going to have bad doctor's appointments. You're going to have good moments in your marriage. You're going to have bad moments in your marriage. Good moments with your kids, bad moments with your kids. You are going to have both. Now, the question comes up when the storms of life hit you, what's your foundation? Your foundation is Christ. And that's how you allow those words to sink down into your ears because when you truly say, that's what I want. If you choose to not allow the foundation of your life to be Christ, you will have sorrow, you will have confusion, and you will have fear. That's a fact. Those things come at all of us. Now the question comes up is, when those things hit me, what am I going to do about that? Christ is the foundation of what's going on. I remember years ago um, when Dawn and I were trying to have uh, children, we ran into a lot of problems and we couldn't have kids right away. And we went through a lot of uh, ups and downs with that, a lot of uh, really high highs of excitement and a lot of low lows of uh, disappointment. We lost a lot of uh, babies through miscarriage. Um, And I remember distinctly it was one spring and lost another baby, uh, you know, through the miscarriage. I remember coming home and my wife was sitting on the couch and she was just sitting there and she was quiet and you could tell she was just crying. And, you know, I went up to her and, you know, we talked about things, what was going on. And I asked her, you know, are you angry? I know I I should say, I said, so what's going on? She goes, I'm angry. I said, angry at what? I said, are you angry at God? Because I'm just angry, angry at the situation, angry at at what was going on in life. And the verse we clung to is the one out of Isaiah 55 of um, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your, your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are above you, and that's the verse we clung to. And so she was going through all this, and every time she had a miscarriage, we ended up going to the doctor and talked about it. And finally, one time at the doctor's office, uh, the doctor pulled me aside afterwards and wanted to talk to me one-on-one. And I remember the doctor came up to me and said, um, you know, your wife is depressed. And says, the doctor says, I think she needs um, help. She's depressed. And, and I sat there, and I thought there for a little bit, and I thought, you know what? I'm not trying to pick on the doctor in any way. I thought that's the most obvious statement anybody could ever say. My wife is depressed. It's a very depressing moment that we're in right now. It's very discouraging. It's very depressing. It's very difficult. But at the same time, too, the foundation of our life is Christ. So therefore, in those depressing, discouraging, despairing moments of life, we clung to Isaiah 55. We said, okay, God, your ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. We're going to cling to you, and we realize you're going to get us through this. We don't know what the future holds, but we're going to trust you in that. And the reason I bring that story up is to say, 
you're going to get rained on. Now, some of you are going to get sprinkled on. Some of you are going to get softball-sized hail. Some of you are going to have a tornado go right through you. It's going to happen. It is absolutely going to happen. The storms of life are going to hit you. You will get depressed. You will get discouraged. You will be sorrowful. You will be confused. And you will have fear. Now, what are you going to do about it? If your foundation is not Christ... You're going to get so wrapped up in the world and those emotions, you're not going to be able to tell up from down. If your foundation is Christ, you will have a plan and a purpose, and you'll say, okay, Lord, Matthew 6:33, I will seek first the kingdom of God, and he will get me through this. Because the Bible promises that he gives me a peace that surpasses all understanding. He gives me a love that surpasses all understanding. Worst thing you can do is try to figure out the peace and love that surpasses all understanding. If it surpasses all understanding, how are you supposed to figure it out? You know, you try to explain that to somebody. That you're going through the worst time you can imagine, but yet I have peace. How can you have peace? Well, if they're a non-believer, they're not going to realize you can have peace during the storm. But as a Christian, I realize I can have peace, and it makes no sense. Because it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a love that surpasses all understanding. The question comes up is, what's your foundation? And once you determine what your foundation is, are you going to allow, verse 44, the words to sink down into your ears? Because some of us hear it, but we don't listen. Throughout the book of Mark, Christ is constantly saying in the book of Mark, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning you have a choice. Then he comes right out and says in in Mark chapter 8, he goes, they have ears, but they do not hear. I don't know how many times in counseling I've had somebody come up and say, well, I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, then do it. I don't mean that to be rude. I don't mean that to be mean. But if we know what we're supposed to do, then why don't we do it? Because we have ears, but we do not hear. We allow the confusion and fear and sorrow and disappointment and discouragement of the world to control us. Christ said he looks steadfastly towards the cross. Christ said allow these words to sink into your ears. Christ said seek me first and everything else falls into place. We now have to make the choice, are we going to do that Yes or no. If we choose not to do that, we're allowing that emotion to control us. Are we willing to listen to the Lord? The verse that we finished up with at the sunrise service this morning was John 10, 27, where Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. The Lord's speaking to you. Now the question is, are you going to listen? Here's the thing about the Lord speaking to you. He's never going to scream louder than the world. God will not wave his arms, jump up and down, and yell at the top of his lungs to get your attention. The Bible says that he speaks in the still, small voice. So therefore... If he's speaking in the still, small voice, if you have the world up so loud in your life, you're never going to hear him. That's why it's so vital to quiet your heart and mind before the Lord. Say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Speak. Because if you allow the world and life and situations to get the best of you, you're never going to be able to hear anything. I can't remember who who called me, and if if it was you, um, if you're out there, you will remember this. Uh, Just recently, I got a phone call at home. I was in the kitchen, and so I got the phone call in the kitchen. And my wife was in there, and I believe uh, Layden was in there, and it was pretty loud. So I have to find a room where there's nothing going on at the Irvin household, and that's very difficult to find. So I had to walk through the living room. But to walk through the living room, there was Elias, Judah, and Kenan. I have no idea what the decibel level is at our house, but I know I have constant ringing in my ears because it's so loud. So I walk through the living room, and as I walk through the living room, once again, I can't remember who I was talking to. I finally got to my bedroom, shut the door, and this person on the phone, if I remember correctly, there was a guy... He goes, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, I said, why? He goes, man, it sounds like something horrible just happened. Goes, That's just my living room, you know, just walking through. You've got to find a place to be quiet. If I want to hear you on the phone, I've got to find a place to be quiet. I've got to go to a place in my house where it's just me, shut the door, and I love to talk to you. Now, if that concept is so simple for a typical phone call, 
What about spiritually? Do you really want to hear what the Lord has in store for your life? You've got to quiet yourself. You've got to find that time where you quiet your heart and your mind and you say, okay, Lord, I'm listening, speak. If you choose not to do that, which is your choice, how are you ever going to hear what the Lord has to say? I mean, do you think you can do it on your own? You can't. Do you think you have the wisdom and the intellect to live this life on your own? No. If you try to live it on your own, sorrow, confusion, and fear. If you try to do the relationship with the Lord with the world turned up high in your ears, what's the result? Sorrow, confusion, and fear. We have to quiet our hearts, quiet our minds. Lord, I want to listen to what you have to say. I want to allow your words to sink into my ears. I want to look steadfastly towards the cross like you did. And Lord, I want you to be first. I want to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not a big fan of uh, New Year's Day. I've always thought if you have something you want to do, why wait to January 1st? Just start it. But I have always looked at Easter as the Christian version of New Year's Day. What a great day to start afresh and say, okay, Lord, I want things to be different. I want things to be different in my life, in my witness at work, in my marriage, with my kids, with my relationships, whatever it is. I want things to be different, and so I'm going to start today, Lord, right now, to make you my foundation, to allow your words to sink into my ears, to truly know you, who you are. That's the purpose of why we're here. Christ came down to die on the cross for your sins and my sins, and as he died on the cross for our sins, he rose third day. We're studying Corinthians on Wednesday nights, and one of the phrases in Corinthians is the simplicity of Christ. How simple is this concept? You've sinned, I've sinned. That sin keeps us out of heaven because God is perfect, holy, and just. That sin keeps us from having a relationship with him. It's a sin that we can't take care of. It's a debt we can't pay. It's a bill we can't even do anything about. And so therefore, Christ said, I will come down and pay that debt. I will pay that bill for you. And he did that by dying on the cross. And as he died on the cross, that debt is considered paid by God. And proof of payment, if you will, the receipt, is the empty tomb on Easter morning. By Christ rising from the dead, that's God's way of saying, I've accepted the payment of what Jesus did. And so therefore, since that payment has now been accepted, the option's up to us whether we want to take that or not. That's salvation. You know, so often we sit here and we talk about salvation, and we talk about how God will fill that hole in your life. That's true. God will fill that hole in your life. If you have a void in your life right now, the Lord will fill it. I mean, we talked about in Ecclesiastes how we, God has said he's put eternity in our hearts. There, there's something in us that seeks and searches for something deeper, a deeper meaning. And so therefore, God fills that void. And so we usually would say is, you know what, God will help you through that discouragement. God will help you through that depression. God will help you through that sadness you have in life. He'll fill that void. Some people sit out there and say, uh, my life's not that bad. Got a nice house, nice job, good health, good wife, good family, good kids, fill in the blank. I don't have a void. I agree, you don't have a void. You don't have a void right now. There's still an eternal void. So you can go that route, and you know what? There's always people that are looking for that void to be filled. There's no doubt about that. And you see examples of that. The woman at the well. Her life was in emptiness until Christ came in. But there's another aspect of salvation more than Christ is filling the void. is You and I have this sin problem that needs to be dealt with. Now, if you want to sit there and say, well, I'm not a sinner, grab me after church. I'd really like to talk to you one-on-one about that. Because the truth of the matter is you have a sin problem, I have a sin problem, that's a debt that has to be paid. I knew one guy one time that used to always tell me, well, me and the big guys got it figured out. I'm assuming the big guy was God. I don't know for sure. And I don't know exactly what they figured out. Because I have read from Genesis to Revelation, as far as I know, there's no little one-on-one deals. So I don't know what he figured out. Because the only figuring out I've seen is it's either accept Christ or not accept Christ. And so sometimes we make these own little games up in our mind. I know I'm a relatively good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner, just like me. Well, I know that I don't do everything perfect, but God knows my heart. Yeah, God says your heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. What it comes down to is you need Christ and I need Christ. And so with that mindset being there, it goes back to the last question we just asked. Are you listening? Do you hear? 
because the Bible also says today is the day of salvation. And what a beautiful picture that is to know that today, 2,000 years after Calvary, it's still there. It's still available. What a beautiful picture that is. As we get ready to partake of communion here, communion is a great way to finish this, to really say, okay, Lord, I want to think back to what this means and represents. And as we get ready to partake of communion, one of the aspects of communion before you partake of it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There, there comes a time and a place where you quiet your heart before the Lord and said, Okay, God, as I get ready to partake of communion, I want to make my life be made clean and clear in you. Psalm 139 also says, Lord, search me, try me, see if there's any sin in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. We want to quiet our hearts here before the Lord to say, Okay, God, what needs to change? What areas do I need to give up? Lord, what areas am I sinning in? That's step one. Step two, you may be here this morning, and you may have realized, Hey, I'm going backwards instead of forwards in my walk with the Lord. Today is a great day to stop that and say, okay, God, this is my New Year's Day. From this day forward, I'm not going to be the backslider. I'm going to move forward in you. Or you may be in the group three. This is all new to you, all fresh to you, and you're saying, I want this. I want that void filled. I want that sin problem taken care of. And today is the day of salvation for you. And it's so simple and easy. We complicate salvation so much. Once again, Corinthians, it's the simplicity of Jesus. Jesus says, do you believe? Well, I believe in God. No, believe. Place saving knowledge and trust in. Do you believe that Christ died for you? Do you accept that sacrifice? Do you say, Lord, I want your death to cover my sins. And as I accept that, I become a follower of you, and I allow your words, Luke 9:44, to sink into my ears. And from this day forward, I follow you and serve you because of what you did for me. We believe that. Now is the time to go to the Lord and go to him in prayer. Lord, as we come to you now, we do pray those verses. Search us and try us and see if there's any sin in us. Lord, we quiet our hearts before you. Lord, we come in here today with problems at home, problems at work, problems with coworkers, with kids, with spouses, with friends. We come into you, and I'm sure there's people that brought a sorrowful heart, a discouraged heart, a fearful heart, a worried heart, Lord, a heart of fear, a heart of confusion. Lord, your word says to let you be the foundation, and you take that from us. Lord, we pray that. We lift those burdens off us. Lord, there are some here today that also want things to be different. They realize the life is not where you've called them to be. Lord, speak to their hearts on the direction you're calling them to make it right. And Lord, there may be some here today that this is new and fresh to them. Speak salvation to their hearts that they may truly know that they just believe. They believe in what you did. They place their saving faith, trust in you, Lord. Thank you for the salvation that you give. Let's all quiet our hearts before the Lord and give him those areas of struggle that we have. Lord, as we just open our hearts to you, there's so much conviction that you send, which is a loving thing. But Lord, also that condemnation of the enemy seeps in there. But I think of that passage in Romans where you said, O wretched man that I am, who has saved me from this body of sin. Thanks be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, you're the one that saves us from this body of sin. And Lord, as we get ready to partake of communion, Lord, we ask that your presence would be here, touching us, filling our hearts, Lord, with what you have called us to be and what you've called us to follow in you. To not just hear, but to listen and allow your words to sink down into our ears and lift this up in your name. Amen. Um, out here at Harvest, we have what we call an open communion policy. We don't have church membership. And so communion is open to anybody who's had that opportunity and has accepted the Lord. As we also bring in uh, some of the kids... Parents, we leave it up to you. If you feel your child is old enough to understand and grasp what communion is, we encourage you to allow them to partake with you. 